Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. If you're a repeat listener to the show, you know that we've had a few conversations about cryptocurrency compliance. There's no doubt that it's a hot topic these days with Bitcoin riding high, Tesla making waves in the space, and of course, the IRS asking questions about it on your tax return. Recently, the IRS issued an FAQ on crypto reporting that caused some confusion in the tax community. Specifically, Form 1040 now has a question asking whether at any time during 2020, you received, sold, sent, exchanged, or otherwise acquired any financial interest in any virtual currency. An FAQ issued on March 2nd, 2021 clarified that if your only transactions involving virtual currency during 2020 were purchases of virtual currency with real currency, you are not required to answer yes to the Form 1040 question. That's not consistent with Form 1040 instructions, nor the guidance that many tax practitioners were given to taxpayers. And if it were a reg or similar, that would be the end of things. But this is an FAQ. FAQs are not official guidance and cannot be relied upon to support a position on a federal tax return. More important, they can be changed at any time and without any public notice. Some practitioners, like me, find this worrisome. To talk about what this means and what should be reported, I've asked Wendy Walker to the show. As a solution principal for Sovos, Wendy uses her market expertise to create and implement product and solution strategies that help customers meet the demands of a constantly changing regulatory environment. Since joining Sovos, Wendy has helped lead the go-to market strategy focused on growing the tax and regulatory reporting line of business. Thank you so much for being on the show, Wendy. Thank you. It's great to be here. So before we dive into the FAQ, let's kind of just talk about the tax crypto question to begin with. Can you kind of give us a summary of what the question is, why it's there, and kind of where taxpayers should look for it right now? Yeah. So the background here, you know, sort of the purpose of the question, um, what led up to the latest FAQ is that taxpayers, the IRS is trying to get taxpayers to confirm or deny whether they had transactions related to crypto to report on their income tax return. Last year in 2019, that question was on Schedule 1. But since a lot of taxpayers uh, don't necessarily need to complete Schedule 1, they wouldn't have necessarily seen the question. And so this year, the question was moved up to the main page of the 1040, up to page 1. And so, again, the purpose is for to get you know taxpayers to confirm or deny um, whether they've got transactions related to crypto. And when you read the instructions for the 1040, presumably answering affirmatively to the question would mean that the taxpayer would then include a Schedule D and report their gains and losses accordingly. It also gave the IRS, the question gives the IRS an enforcement mechanism, right? So right. if a taxpayer answers negatively to the question, later found to have transacted in virtual currency, then there could be more stiff consequences. 
and I was kind of struck by that because um, I talked about this on the program before, uh, before this FAQ and before the movement of the, the question on the 1040, because as you mentioned, it used to be on schedule one. When the offshore stuff happened, when the IRS was really cracking down on offshore reporting, you know, they also used the question as kind of that was their hammer, right? Like if you, if you failed to report something that is problematic, but if you answered the question wrongly, then it could also be considered willful. That's right. So that was, you know, kind of their hammer. But even that was on Schedule B and it was buried at the bottom, right? Right. So that's what's interesting to me that they started out on Schedule 1. And I guess the thought process is that there are so many more people using crypto. And I know the numbers of people who are reporting are very small. They, you know, they publish that data. But it is really, I find interesting how quickly they moved that question to the front of the return because we haven't seen that before, really. That's right. And in wide swath of taxpayers, it now is addressed at. And kind of to your point, you know, when you think about the fact that they're going to receive a variety of potential erroneous responses here that could put people in a a bad position, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because to your point, there's that enforcement. The crypto market has exploded over the last several years. I mean, as you said in the introduction around Bitcoin, um, the price of Bitcoin is up over $50,000 these days. I can remember when it was a couple hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> you know, it is these days uh, somewhere around, I think, a $3 trillion uh, market, uh, $1.75 trillion market. Bitcoin's about $1 trillion of that number. So, you know, I think that the bigger issue here is that the IRS is not receiving what they believe is the correct amount of reporting for this. And if you think about the IPO that Coinbase is getting ready to release, they, their S1 was filed and they um, indicated that they have over 40 million users on the platform. Certainly the IRS is not receiving close to that amount of tax returns with cryptocurrency income. Oh, sure. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because when Coinbase in particular, to be fair, Coinbase has been probably at the kind of the front of talking about reporting and transparency. But when the IRS was going after Coinbase's records or customer records, they used uh, Coinbase's own stats on their website as kind of evidence that people aren't reporting. They actually said in their pleadings, like you say you have this many customers and you say you have this much money transacting in any given day. And let me tell you how many forms we've received. You know, it was a completely different, you know, there's clearly a disparity. So so it's clear that IRS is is kind of cracking down. And and I think it would be interesting to talk about this kind of in bits because the appeal of crypto initially for a lot of users was the idea that it wasn't regulated and it was kind of anonymous. And, you know, when you move to a platform like Coinbase, that obviously becomes less so the case. What is IRS doing to kind of combat this discrepancy? Because you do have uh, platforms like Coinbase that are making it easy for users to, you know, calculate their basis and do all of these things. And then you have uh, folks who are either off platform or they're in a different kind of platform. So what is the IRS looking for and how do they think they're going to find it given that range of, you know, transparency? Yeah, well, I mean, to take a step back, right, if you think about our tax system, we're a voluntary compliance system here, right? And Mm -hmm. third-party reporting is the linchpin of the voluntary compliance system. So the reason the IRS did the John Doe summons for Coinbase or or even other exchanges is because they aren't receiving 1099 reporting. And there's if they are, it's not correct 1099 reporting. 
mm-hmm. the current system isn't working for payers nor for taxpayers. And so in some cases, the system is creating this unnecessary burden on taxpayers uh, and on the IRS. And so Coinbase, for example, might be able to provide them with transactional information, um, but they're not providing correct 1099 information to the IRS. As a matter of fact, this year, Coinbase decided not to issue 1099s at all. And so the the problem we have is while the IRS recognizes this problem, the IRS has been sending thousands of taxpayers enforcement letters. The IRS is trying to get information through this question on the 1040, but yet they still haven't issued any guidance to payers that are required to issue 1099s. And right. so the, part, right, the problem is that they don't have the, the third leg of the match here <laughs> that they use when they're matching off. Right. And it's interesting because I knew Coinbase was in the beginning kind of suggested a different kind of 1099 that they might be able to use for reporting when they were sort of thinking about ways to avoid just revealing the the whole kitchen sink of a user's transactions. And I was kind of fascinated when all of this was happening because it felt like a reasonable solution. And I wrote about it and I actually got responses from folks who use different platforms, including folks who ran different platforms, who said, no, 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 this is completely off. So it, it's it's interesting that even within the community, there's you know concern about what gets reported and how it gets reported. So it's it's perplexing to me that the IRS believes that people will be as forthcoming as they maybe hope they are when there's still so much confusion and mistrust about what gets reported, how that information is being used. Because one of the cool things, cool is kind of probably a weird word, but one of the interesting things about a 1099 is that it not only helps forms matching, right? IRS can look at it and, and, and you can look at it and those two things should match. But it also kind of helps erase any gray areas, right? Like you never, when you get your 1099B from Vanguard, you never look at it. Well, I shouldn't say you never. Most taxpayers do not look at it and think, hmm, I'm not really sure if that DuPont stock sale should have been reported. Like you typically trust that they have the guidance that they need on their end to report what they need to report and they're not going to over or under report. I think that if we were to make the decision today that there should be 1099 reporting for crypto, I don't think that, as you kind of alluded to earlier, that folks would even know on the platform side what would be appropriate and when to report it. Yeah, it's a great point. So the IRS, just this last fall, actually, the Treasury Inspector General did a re- put a report out around virtual currency transactions and especially around the need for the IRS to release uh, information reporting guidance in this area. Mm-hmm. They specifically cited the issue of the 1099K being used versus the 1099B. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned that transparency that way because the the IRS, from a 1099K perspective, it's a goods and services uh, form. It was created back in 2008 for the likes of PayPal transactions, right? And mm-hmm. these days, other marketplace uh, sellers, even um, gig economy platforms like Uber and DoorDash are using the 1099K. So the IRS systems would generally expect to see a Schedule C, you know, and the 1099K. When an exchange issues it for gain-loss transactions, then of course, it, you know, cannot be matched off. And so this, in the Treasury Inspector General report, they discussed that issue quite extensively and recommended that the IRS 
do something about it. And the IRS agreed in the report and indicated that they were drafting requirements under Internal Revenue, excuse me, Internal Revenue Code Section 6045, which is where 1099B reporting comes from today. So we are expecting some form of guidance uh, Mm -hmm. here in the coming year. But um, I did know, I did hear just about two weeks ago that um, they've announced that they're delayed yet again in issuing this guidance, mainly citing lack of resources, of course, uh, particularly due to the stimulus bills and the pandemic issues. Which is completely understandable. But I will say one of the things that I hear a lot in the crypto community is that this particular area moves really quickly. And the IRS has typically responded to some of the, some market changes pretty quickly. And, and it is interesting to me how long this process has taken from the first guidance that was issued, which was at this point, what, seven years ago, something right. like that. 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to remember during the pandemic, which year it is anymore. But, um, yeah. So, so seven years ago, even though crypto had been around before that. And then the guidance that taxpayers, not even, you know, talking about platforms, but taxpayers have received since then has been really loose. And a lot of it has been on their website in these FAQs. And again, I'm, if you, if folks who listen to the show know that I am not the, the kind of person who throws IRS under the bus, I realize they're, they're juggling a lot of balls right now. But it is surprising to me that over this time period, you know, seven years in the crypto space is an eternity. Like a lot has happened <laughs> in seven years. It's strange to me that it's still taking this long to get good guidance. I would agree with you there. I, um, I, again, I, I'm with you in that I completely recognize, particularly over the last 10 to 12 years, the lat, you know, downsizing of the IRS resources that has occurred. Sure. And so they're definitely strapped, but. But to your point, it has gone on for a long time. And even the guidance that we have today in notice 2014-21 in the revenue ruling and the FAQs, that's that's it. And they're very light and very directed at the individual taxpayer mm-hmm. and very directed at high-level transactions. And so just they leave so many questions from a business income tax perspective, personal income tax, um, even as far as gains and losses. So into, you asked earlier, you know, around how would an exchange know how to, how to, you know, calculate these? I think it's a great question because when you're talking about a scenario like Bitcoin, um, I think it's a little bit more straightforward now mm-hmm. compared to say some of the things we're seeing in the, in the decentralized market, which is, you know, some of the other tokens like Ethereum. And those, those tokens potentially have a different use case or could potentially be looked at different in, in many scenarios. And I think as the ecosystem grows, uh, we, the IRS is, is quickly, you know, getting further and further behind. Right. And actually, this is probably like a good, a good place to kind of pause and take a step backwards. And can you explain for, cause I know that I have folks who are kind of interested in Bitcoin that write me questions and ask me like really basic questions, like, how does reporting work and and what do I report and when do I report it? So just for those folks who are listening, can you kind of walk us through like understanding that there are some things that we don't have guidance for, but just generally speaking, what should listeners um, who are taxpayers be thinking about if they have Bitcoin or they're thinking about getting Bitcoin or Ox or something else? Like what should they be thinking about and how sure. does what does that look like on a tax return? So first thing I would say is, back to kind of the original conversation about the question is, if you purchase virtual currency with U.S. dollars, 
then you either and you do nothing. You don't trade it. You it just sits in the wallet, um, and you you don't do any uh, other transaction with it, but acquire it. Then you don't need to check yes to the virtual currency box. All you've done is acquired the virtual currency. However, for tax purposes, you have acquired property. You've acquired an asset, and so you do need to keep track of how much you acquired it for and the date that you acquired it. Because when you go to dispose of that asset later on, that's when you'll recognize gain loss. That is not being tracked well or reported. And here's what I mean. If you acquire the Bitcoin, let's say on the Gemini platform, but then you transfer it over to the Coinbase platform and sell it on Coinbase, Coinbase has no idea what you paid for it on Gemini, right? right? They only know what it was when you transferred it in. So as a taxpayer, you've got to be careful to track, you know, all of those details, because even if the exchange reports something, they don't necessarily have that full picture today. Right. And that's why some of the platforms early on were treating the transfer as a cash out. That's right. Which was, but not everybody did, which is confusing. And then, of course, reconciling that to the 1099 transaction that was being reported to the Schedule C, this is what's causing those CP2000 notices that we're seeing to a lot of taxpayers right now. So in terms of best practices, I know obviously easy, and if you could see me, I'm doing ear uh, ear quotes, air quotes, an easy solution would be to stick to a platform that has a fairly well-established reputation for providing information to the taxpayer, not necessarily to IRS. But, you know, for example, on Coinbase, you can go and find a list of your transactions, but that's not everybody's preference, right? So what, what what should people do when you talk about keeping records? Yeah. What qualifies as good records? So there is out there's actually some technology companies that have helped create for personal income tax have helped create technology for this so that you can um when you um uh, you know basically subscribe to their service, you can attach your wallets from different exchanges. Um, to feed the transactions into that piece of technology. And it will track all of those details within the ledger for you. Mm-hmm. So then it, you're, that way, when you do that transfer from Gemini to Coinbase, that's all tracked. And it, the, the technology said, oh, that's a transfer. So that's not a disposition of the asset for tax, but oh, that's a sell. So that's definitely a disposition. And so by using that technology, you're able to aggregate up the, the correct transactions, prove what was actually a sell versus you know, just transferring from a wallet to a wallet, right? right? And that's that's what the issue is, being able to prove every single transfer or movement of the asset, being able to prove whether or not it was a disposition because that's what's going to give rise to the event. So third-party software out there is really good for that um, to, to keep track of that. I will tell you that my experience here recently is that some, some of, um, with so much institutional investment that we're seeing in Bitcoin especially, Mm-hmm. So institutional, meaning custodial banks like the Bank of New York of the world and, and state streets, right? Mm-hmm. With so much of that um, money coming into the crypto um, landscape, we are seeing definitely a higher expectation around income tax. And these are high net worth individuals or investors who are, are experienced in that traditional market. And like you said, they receive a Vanguard statement and they can trust it and they understand it. And so there are some exchanges out there or some platforms out there that want to set themselves apart as that higher end, you know, um, asset manager and provide a a, a fully, you know, full-blown correct 1099B that has all of those details for you. And they've invested in that technology that I talked about in order to do that for you. 
So there's, you know, I think it's if you're a pretty savvy investor and you want to, you know, really be careful with how this um, is being managed, then you maybe look for one of those higher end firms, um, management firms. But if it's uh, something you're more of a kind of a fly by night kind of investor, I'm not really sure what you're doing yet. Maybe just, you know, maybe purchase a subscription for just to track the wallet activity. Right. One of the other things I find kind of interesting in this whole discussion is, and it kind of harkens back to, again, the offshore, because I I just see a lot of parallels between what happened there. If folks are listening now and they're just getting into it, so, you know, you just went out, you saw the Bitcoin was over 50,000 and you're like, you know what, this is it. Or you go to someplace like Robinhood and you're like, I can't, you know, I'm going to buy my 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 bits here. So there are people who are kind of diving into it for the first time. But we also know that the reason that Bitcoin is over 50,000 is because there have been people that have been doing this for a while um, and they haven't been reporting. So clearly that's what IRS is looking at. Do, you know, it's, I was talking, I've been talking to a couple of folks about this and, and some of them have been on the program. So I'd be curious to hear your take. The IRS um, specifically said, I want to say two years ago, that they would not be having an amnesty program for crypto, um, which I was kind of shocked to hear because I ex- I fully expected one. And I honestly think they'll still probably do one because I do think, again, you look at the parallels with the offshore. Once you start diving in, you know, you find out that someone hasn't, you know, you don't just have an offshore account that you didn't disclose this year. You've had it for 10 years. I think that you're going to see a lot of this with crypto. And so... What are you hearing or what are you advising folks to do who might be non-compliant? Are, are, are folks, should, should they go and try to become compliant today? Should they wait and see what the, the guidance is going to be? And again, because I think that when you talk about uncertainty, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward. But what about all the uncertainty that's happened over the last decade? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have, and the guidance that we have over the last decade doesn't necessarily apply to, to everything that we were doing either. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, you know, guidance that's, that's harmful in some cases. So, but I do know, at least from an offshore perspective, anything that's being acquired offshore, even in the past before there was clear guidance, I think all, a lot of tax professionals were saying, you definitely should, you definitely should disclose it, even though mm-hmm. it may not be considered offshore, because there's always been question about whether something is treated as offshore, because, you know, where is the source of income for sure, crypto yeah. and, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's that question, but you know, kind of like you said, um, you were talking on the global landscape a little bit. We could we could transition and say, you know, if you're transacting in other countries, for example, it's not just a U.S. issue to worry about because that information is going to get reported. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a non-U.S. tax reporting regime that's similar to the IRS's 1099 regime, and it's called the Common Reporting Standard (CRS). I don't know if you've heard of that. That's actually where FATCA. It's it's the version of uh, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act that you were alluding to earlier. And so the common reporting standard um, is is getting ready to be expanded for cryptocurrency transactions. So if I'm, you know, transacting um, through a UK-based uh, blockchain platform, the UK platform is going to be required to report that information to the UK government, who will then share that information uh, with other, um, you know, allied countries. So it's a, it's already a regime that exists and they're simply going to expand it. I actually received notice today that we should expect it by Q4 of 21. Oh, wow. So it's interesting to me that there, you know, that global landscape is ahead and we're going to receive these 1099-like uh, kind of foreign account tax compliance-like uh, requirements through there, but we still haven't received our, our traditional U.S. requirements from from IRS, so... And the U.S. treats 
crypto differently than some other countries do too, which is interesting because not all countries globally consider it a capital asset. That's true. Most of the allied countries do um, have have called it property and stick behind that. But Mm -hmm. you're right. There are many countries that consider it currency. And so from a tax perspective, it's different in each each jurisdiction. So if you're an exchange operating in the UK with clients all over the place, then you definitely have to keep track of those rules. Just like here in the US, the different state rules. Right. We we always joke that um, some of our clients, when they come over from the EU, they're always surprised. We're in Pennsylvania. They're always surprised that literally if you drive across the border to Delaware or to New Jersey, it's a whole new world on the tax side. Sure um, is. Because (laughs) it changes so quickly. So yeah, I can imagine. So uh, kind of going back to when we were talking about a little bit earlier about IRS becoming more aggressive. So you have mentioned the notices that were sent out um, and they were encouraging, encouraging folks to file and to report. Um, and of course, the IRS has also been trying with these summons to gain information from the platforms. And they have had some measure of success. They didn't get everything they wanted, but they they did get access to some information. You know, what should taxpayers do that are in receipt of these notices or who are worried about past reporting discrepancies or omissions? Biggest thing definitely is to pull together all of your records. I mean, like I said, I there is a concern on my part just in general that the 1099 information that potentially was reported, mm-hmm. that that's probably what's causing the mismatch. And so really, it's a matter of proving out what you claimed as income on your income tax return. So you need to gather up all of those transactions that, and that would have been your form 89, what made up your form 8949 which you know then goes into your Schedule D, which is part of your 1040. So the transaction detail there um, is the first thing. The, the CP2000 notice, um, is it is a penalty notice, right? And it, it, so it's essentially the IRS is just assuming that you owe tax. They're not, they're basically saying, if you disagree, let us know. And so you need to respond to it if you receive right. that notice and you disagree, right? But the, from a how they sent this out perspective, if you're not familiar with working with the IRS, yeah, you receive that and you think, do I just pay the bill? Do I, you know, it, it's definitely intimidating. So we've said, you know, if you if you have all that detail and you're confident and you, you know, really should engage someone to help you prove this out to the IRS. On the flip side, people like me are deep in the industry trying to push the IRS on the guidance piece of this for the 1099 side, because you need both in order for this to work. And let's talk about the the FAQ in, in terms of guidance. So what's very clear, in, and the IRS has said this other uh, context, is that you cannot rely on an FAQ. Um, it, it doesn't hold the same weight as a, tre- a treasury regulation. It's not, you know, it's not a ruling. It's it's guidance. And I appreciate, especially during the pandemic, that the IRS is increasingly leaning on FAQs to get information out quickly because folks go to the website, they want to know, what do I need to know about my stimulus check? What do I need to know about filing extensions? You know, so, so they're trying to get a lot of information out quickly. And there were some prohibitions against giving more administrative regulations than um, they had been giving over, over the past few years. So I think they've been kind of measured with some of the guidance just because they have been re- restrained um, sure. in what they've been able to issue. But so they they put out this um, this FAQ in the middle of in the middle of tax season. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly it was a response to something, right? Yeah. It's we always joke. It's like the sticker on the ladder that says "Don't go above this step." Like clearly somebody went above that step at some point, and that's why you see the sticker. 
So, you know, clearly they, they had some questions about this and they decided the best way to do this is to issue the guidance. The instructions and the form, it's the otherwise required and the received that are kind of like the tricky words. Mm-hmm. That's why they issued the FAQ to say, well, what we meant to say was, why just not change the 1040 or the instructions? And I understand that part of it is because it's the middle of the filing season, but I'm concerned for my taxpayers about misinterpreting that. And I'm actually concerned with the IRS. And so, because I actually think that this this guidance and this question complicates things for both parties, right? You're absolutely you have, right. You have the taxpayer who's saying, if I say yes to this, when I really should say no, you know, am I am I opening myself up for additional examination? If I say no to this when I should have said yes, am I opening myself up to perjury? And on the IRS side, if you have all the nervous Nellies or you have people who have advisors like me who can be a nervous Nelly, because I tend to be conservative on the, you know, make sure you're in compliance side. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if if you check yes to that when you don't need to, but you're reading it strictly, you know, you're doing a strict interpretation, taking the FAQ out of it, just looking strictly at the verbiage and then looking at what's in the instructions and you check yes. Now the IRS has a bunch of yes check boxes that don't mean anything because these are not people who had transactions. They just bought Bitcoin exactly. or they bought Ox or they bought whatever. So what it's, it's, it's problematic. And the IRS hasn't said anything else about it. It's been a few weeks. I know they, they did, there was, um, a, a few representatives that reached out to folks, but otherwise, I don't think they've been very loud about it. It was kind of quiet the way it happened. Do you expect this to change? Do you expect them to give official guidance? I know we've talked about the fact that guidance is really slow, but like, what do you think is the next step here? Because I, I'm worried about what that question means for taxpayers, and I'm not I'm disputing. Too. Yeah, I, I just wanted to be clear to people that before they, before they, they have their hands on the emails ready to send them. I'm not disputing the notion of the question. I actually understand the reason why the IRS wants to know if you've had certain kinds of transactions. So I'm not, I'm not talking about the global, should there be a crypto question? I'm talking about the specific wording of this question in context with the FAQ. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, so it's bare, the FAQ, first of all, you know, you would have to be a pretty savvy taxpayer to know that there are crypto FAQs and know how to find that on the IRS website. I mean, the, the reality is that most taxpayers don't even know that a crypto FAQ exists. Let's true. Be honest. <laughs> yeah, true. So uh, to your point, I, that was my first thought too, is why wouldn't you just put it in the instructions? But I do know that um, just my experience working in 1099 reporting is that the publications that the IRS puts out, which includes the 1040 instructions, follow a pretty long timeline process in terms of approvals and publications that they go through before they're actually published. Mm -hmm. And my guess is, well, I know that the IRS did not anticipate this issue because, and this is sort of my take on it, you know, when the IRS, you know, the IRS was very specific in the instructions about when they expect you to answer yes to that question, right? They listed out four bullet points very, very specifically. And then they even had a paragraph that said, that you shouldn't answer yes if you simply hold crypto in a wallet or when you transfer crypto to a cold wallet. So they gave some very specific when you should and when you shouldn't. But the big key one that they didn't is the one in the FAQ, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, you purchase a virtual currency using USD. Happens every day, all day long. And so to your point, I am concerned also, not just for taxpayers, but for the IRS. 
the IRS has millions of returns behind in terms of uh, right now, the 2020 season, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the folks who are receiving those CP2000 audit notices that I mentioned, they're dated 2018. So the IRS is just that many years behind in looking at crypto returns. And if you think about 2018, that's when Coinbase, I think, released the John Doe summons information. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, they're still working through potentially that first swath of taxpayers that they receive. So this mess is going to perpetuate, I think, for the next several years because they are receiving false positives. So you've got, you know, the enforcement letters going out. Um, and so they receive back, uh, I told you before, you, you know, taxpayers should document their information. They're going to send in that information to the IRS. Someone will have to physically substantiate that information to clear that taxpayer from any issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a lot of work for every single return that has a yes on there, right? Right. Yeah. And and so I, yeah, I definitely feel like, and this is why I, I harp on 1099 reporting, because this is a really inefficient way of looking for a needle in a haystack here, right? Yes. <laughs> that again, if 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 you had some clearer guidance for payers, the 1099s would direct the taxpayer the way they need to go in the system. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm really concerned too. I do believe that the IRS did intend, you know, did mean well. At least they tried to be as clear as they can. But it goes to a larger issue that we haven't talked about here, and that is that. I believe it's a lack of education. I believe that they're behind in terms of understanding the real ins and outs of blockchain and crypto technology and the different use cases and how you can use it. We've sat here and talked quite a bit about trading, but there is a variety of uh, products going on out there in the ecosystem that are doing a lot more than just trading. You know, they're doing things like lending and they're doing things like uh, receiving rewards. Mm -hmm. They're being, they're being paid quote interest. There And so there's a variety of transactions out there that could give rise to other income. And if we can't even figure out gains and losses, for goodness sakes, you know, we, we've got a lot to catch up on here. Right. And as you mentioned earlier, like these numbers are huge. These are not, again, I think at one point, you know, it was kind of very mm-hmm. people, you have this, this, I guess, stereotype of it's, you know, a couple of guys on a computer in a dark room, right? And they're mining. And that, and that was and that was your crypto world, right? But now it's not. Like now it's everybody. It's it's college students and it's right. it's moms and it's it's also as we've seen, um, you know, it's it's big corporations uh making the the move. So I think that the whole landscape is changing and it doesn't feel like IRS is keeping up. And I don't know what that means for taxpayers. And I think that's what worries me. Me too. And I, and I worry for CPAs, right? Because from, yes. just, you know, just from your having, you've got a, the preparer return, you have to sign off on that and errors and emissions. And, you know, there's a concern there that without guidance for a preparer to even fully be able to advise their client, you know, that puts them in a position as well. So it's, it's definitely wider than just taxpayers. You know, it's also impacting the preparers too. So I guess kind of that's actually a great kind of a moment to, to wrap up on like, Moving forward, what advice do you have both for taxpayers and practitioners in terms of keeping up with the information, staying educated, kind of being like, where would you send people? What what advice would you give them? Because there is a lot of conflicting information out there. Not all of it is good, but there are some agencies that are actually making an effort to educate folks. Yeah. So, I mean, I generally, you know, do a lot of research on you know, particular assets um, specifically. So, you know, before I would invest in anything first, of course, you would want to 
make sure you understand what the asset is, but then think about who you're going to be doing business with. We talked before about platforms uh, really want to provide you with the tax information that you need um, so that you aren't in this situation, you know, where uh, you can't substantiate your gains and loss income. So there are platforms that will provide you with that information, even if it's not necessarily a 1099. There are platforms that won't. And so be, you know, be selective in terms of who you're choosing to do business with. Um, as a preparer, you know, there's certainly limited guidance here uh, in terms of of what you can sign off on. And I know that there are limited firms that are um, out there that are willing to, you know, work with taxpayers on this. So there, all I can say is that there are, you know, I would say a handful of really crucial industry events that happen every year that have uh, are growing with um, discussion around this. Mm-hmm. And not to plug my own, but we we at Sovos oh, are starting, <laughs> yeah, we are starting to talk about that quite a bit. And so we've carved out segments in our annual conference for this, which is in October. And, and we're also doing an event in May to start talking about preparing for 1099B reporting should that guidance come later this year. So it's about looking for people doing workshops and guidance in this area to help you understand, you know, what your tax obligations are and keeping ahead. Because as I said, the ecosystem's growing. And if you're a tax preparer next year, you know, it's not just going to be trading next year. It's going to be lending or staking or all these other products, you know, that the, right. the taxpayer engaged in. So, right. Well, this has been so valuable. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I think this is good information for folks, especially people who are just, uh, including preparers who are just getting into kind of this, as you said, ecosystem and, and want to know where to start looking for information. So thank you so much. I think, I think this has been really helpful. If people wanted to find you or your company and you wanted to be found either on social media or on the web, where would you send them? Yeah, so definitely, you know, sovos.com, right? That That's our, our, and you can find us there, obviously, online. But on LinkedIn, you can find me. You can find Sovos there, too. But I'm Wendy Walker on LinkedIn. Um, I have a pretty large presence there. You can message me there. And then my email address is wendy.walker at sovos.com. So please feel free to reach out. We, um, we're definitely uh, trying to help influence the, the tax policy in the industry. So could definitely use, you know, feedback from all different types. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And I will make sure for the listeners to put those links in the show notes so that you can easily find them. Again, thank you so much, uh, Wendy. This has been really wonderful. Thank you, Kelly. It was great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.